0: Good evening everyone. Um, Psalm 26 for today and as we come to Psalm 26 um, I want to ask what do you live for? What gets you up in the morning with a spring in your step? What future hope drives you on through life or pulls you on through life? Um, Tonight from Psalm 26 we're going to be thinking about Godly ambition, how David models to us pursuing godly ambition in the real world. Um, Let's pray, and then I'll read. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm, which we can hear, which we can pray. We pray that this last psalm of our series in refreshment would indeed refresh us refresh us for your service to pursue your kingdom your righteousness for Jesus sake Amen so Psalm 26 of David vindicate me O Lord for I have led a blameless life I have trusted in the Lord without wavering Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. And go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes but I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. We're going to begin with the um, superscription um, of David. David has been called uh, the sweet singer of Israel, but he was not the Matt Redmond or Stuart Townsend of Israel paid by a record company to devote his whole time to writing worship songs and leading God's people in worship. David had been anointed to rule over Israel to establish God's kingdom in Israel but his path to power was long and torturous and with much opposition. And his songs all arise from his battles for the kingdom in Israel. We don't know when um, he wrote this psalm. We don't know whether it was on his way up to the throne with Saul plotting to eliminate him or whether it was when he was on the throne and inevitably, as leaders are, um, not necessarily in the church, but in leaders and politics surrounded by people who 've got their their own agenda and their own schemes but But whatever it was, David lived his life in if I can borrow the words of a TV drama on political intrigue he 's lived his life in the thick of it. Now, few of us may be. Um, Involved in politics or called to greatness as this world understands it. But by both creation and redemption, we are created to be kings and priests of our God. We may be ordinary people, we may live relatively mundane lives, but we are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, the psalm, we've got a... um, i have put the structure um, on the overhead just so you can see it, but it, it, it's structured around verses six to eight, which lie at the center of the psalm, and is a hinge on which the psalm turns. So we 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 read about the verdict David seeks, we read about the people David avoids, then the house David loves, and then we're back on the same ground, the people David avoids, and the verdict David seeks. So I'm just going to take that as three Um, three points or three questions for us to think about in terms of pursuing godly ambition how am I to live as a king and priest of God uh, in this world and three questions whose opinion matters whose help are you dependent upon and whose glory are you seeking so whose opinion matters Um, Verses 1 and 2 and verses 11 and 12 are our verses here. Um, Next slide. Thank you, Abby, I think. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, Whose opinion matters? Okay, so celebrities caught the media. Politicians caught public opinion, but both are very fickle. David became a hero of Israel when he slew Goliath, the darling of Israel, the bridegroom when they sang their songs about him, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, but then he became a victim of Saul's irrational jealousy, an outlaw, a man not to be associated with unless you are ready to risk your life. So he was up and he was down. So though David um, knew that he could not become king without the people's favour, it was the Lord's favour, the Lord's verdict that mattered to him more than anything else. So he prays, vindicate me, O Lord. Or it could be translated, judge me. O Lord. Um, Different psalms translate the same word in different ways depending on the context. depends whether um, you think David is here facing slanderous accusations and is praying, vindicate me, O Lord, or whether he's seeking God's favour and is saying, judge me, O Lord. I'm just going to take that he's saying, judge me, O Lord. Judge me. Because... What he's doing, uh, verse two, is, is submitting himself to God's searching gaze into his innermost parts, his heart and his mind—literally, his heart and his kidney. Judge me, he says, confident that he has lived a life of faithfulness. For I have led a blameless life, he says, verse one, and again in verse eleven. Without slipping up, my feet are on the path. They're on level ground, verse 11. Now, that prayer may be a bit of a shock um, to some of us, especially if you've been well taught that there is non-righteous, no, not one. But David is not claiming to be sinlessly perfect. He's simply claiming to have been a faithful servant of God. So I have been a husband for 40 years. I have not been a perfect husband. I've often been a selfish husband. I've often been very difficult to live with. I'm often put to shame by my son-in-law. But I have been faithful for 40 years. And I hope, I, I hope my wife's come to trust me in that. And I think that's what David is, is claiming here. Um, it may not seem much, but if ever you have had a partner who has betrayed you and broken your trust, you will know faithfulness is an enormous thing. And I think that's what David is, is claiming. He's not, he's not praying like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable, parading his goodness before others, seeking to justify himself before God. He's rather asserting that he is God's man and that for all his faults, he has been true to the Lord. And, um, he, he is asking God, judge me. In this, look into my innermost parts, see that I have been true to you. In other words, he's consciously living his life under the Lord's gaze. And that is the key, or a key, to living a life of integrity in public life. Continually going to the Lord, asking him to judge us. If that is our regular practice, we are much more likely to be able to say with Paul, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. I wonder how many of us can really say, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Paul could because he lived as David did under the gaze of God. David is in the public arena, but he is under the Lord's gaze. Um, Sadly, I think that is not very typical of people in politics today. It would appear that integrity and character no longer matter. All that counts is policies and personality. But they must remember, we must remember, the verdict of the electorate is not the one that counts. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ And meanwhile, he is Lord of history, Lord of nations, Lord of presidents and prime ministers. He raises one up. He brings them down. So whose opinion matters? Secondly, whose help are you relying on? Who who are you dependent upon? Let me me read these verses. Verse 4. I do not sit with deceitful men. Nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. Verse 9. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. Now, I don't know how easy you find it to to connect to this section because we live in... A strongly Christianized world where people who have no sympathy for the Christian faith nevertheless hold values that have come to us because of the Christian faith and the Christian gospel. So, for example, we do not openly admire ruthless people. And those who want to pursue ruthless tactics have got to be very subtle. But in the ancient world, if I can slightly alter a, a Mao Zedong um, quotation, power came from the edge of the sword. In electoral campaigns in Rome, for example, the way to power was a planned policy of bribery and street gang persuasion where and where that failed assaults on the character or maybe the life of the, your rival so someone always ended up getting plund, uh, plundered or exiled or killed and to in that environment to have tried to follow jesus teaching on turning the other cheek and loving your enemy would simply have identified you as a weakling or a coward, somebody with no ambition and no future. Um, That's the world of politics. It's it's a bit more subtle today, but politics will always um, attract unsavoury characters for whom the end justifies the means. So think of David in a Dullam's cave, and the people who joined him, the the disenfranchised, and the discontented. Some who were just joining him for safety from the oppressive regime of Saul, but others who were bent on revenge and power at any cost. Think of um, the time when David was um, uh, in the cave, back of the cave, and Saul and his men were out to Uh, get hold of David and Saul needed to go into the cave to relieve himself and his men are urging him this is your chance the Lord has handed him over to you and David crept up on Saul but he would not kill the Lord's anointed and satisfied himself with cutting off uh, the edge of his cloak, or the tassels that hung from his cloak, which were a symbol of Saul's supposed devotion to the Lord. But even that smote David's conscience. And when Saul had gone away, he goes up and hangs up the tassel and publicly repents and asks for Saul's forgiveness and recognition that he is not going to take the kingdom from him by violent means in verse 6 David talks about um, washing his hands in innocence washing washing hands in innocence was um, um, a ritual that the elders of a city were to do when uh, there was an unsolved murder and theirs was the nearest city and they were declaring This has nothing to do with us. We have not engineered this death in any way. Um, The first um, three or four chapters of 2 Samuel, um, three of David's rivals to the throne are killed. And David publicly renounces those who have killed them and weeps and mourns over the death of his rivals. Metaphorically, he's washing his hands in innocence. I had nothing to do with this. I am not pursuing ruthless ways. Um, David was God's man, chosen to bring God's rule, God's order, And if he resorted to these ways, he knew, a shortcut to the throne maybe, but he knew he would not then be the man after God's own heart. So verse 3, he keeps the Lord's love ever before him and continually walks in his path. Now we may not walk in, uh, live in david 's world, but in many areas of life, the way to the top, whatever in your career or business or whatever it is, often depends on the influence of other people and If we conclude that they are the wrong sort of people to associate with that their advice is the wrong advice to follow and their values are the wrong values to embrace, we may well be dismissed as those with no ambition with people with too many scruples to succeed in business or with such socially unacceptable views there is no place for us in public life I can think of a sports star um, whose faith in Christ was very public Um, who almost as soon as he began to work for the BBC abandoned his faith I can think of a Christian minister highly regarded by many evangelicals for his promotion of the gospel began to work for the BBC and now holds views that are radically different from those of um, uh, normal evangelicals I don't know why they abandoned their faith or their values, but I do wonder if it was the influence of gatekeepers to future uh, opportunities and to social acceptance. Think, for example, of the abuse J.K. Rowling has suffered for speaking out on sex and gender issues. Um, We may not... um, feature so prominently in public life, but we will be aware, many of us, of the pressure to change our beliefs and values to fit in with today's progressive culture. And some of you will face the pressure of feeling that you lose any hope of promotion if you don't go along with those values. Or think of... um, how hard it has been for whistleblowers in our culture. And I wonder how many of you have worked on a team where you are expected to stand up for a team member who has done wrong because you're a member of the team. So this, this psalm is asking us, whose help are we relying upon Whose values are we beginning to adopt in the hope of climbing up the ladder? Does the end justify the means? And then thirdly, whose glory are you seeking? I go about your altar, O Lord, verse 6, proclaiming aloud your praise, telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Who are you ambitious for? What are you ambitious for? What, what, what destiny do you, do you seek for yourself? Um, f- for a long time, uh, Boris has had his eye set on number 10. Well, he's there now. Donald Trump appears to now prefer the White House to Trump Tower. For David, the seat of power and glory was not the King's Palace, but the Lord's House. I love the House where you dwell, the place where your glory dwells. Although at the time, that was nothing more than a tent. And for periods of David's life, no more than um, a tent of no fixed abode. So it wasn't until David was crowned king over all Israel that The Lord um, gave up his nomadic presence in Israel and camped in Jerusalem on Mount Zion in a tent that David had pitched for the Ark of the Covenant, which was the visible sign of the throne of God and of the glory of God. But it wasn't until after David's death, Solomon's day, that an actual temple was built for the Ark of the Covenant, and the Lord then filled that temple with the visible manifestation of His glory. And it was at that point the nations began to recognize the greatness of God by the greatness of His temple. But in the meantime, His presence was associated with a lowly tent. But for David, He would rather be there. Than anywhere else, because that's where God's glory was. That was where God manifested the sign of Him dwelling with His people, that He had come down to rule for His people and rule through His people for the blessing of the nations. And all His hopes and ambitions were focused on that. So you read the closing chapters of Samuel, and they're all about David's provision for the temple that was still to be built. As for David, so for Jesus. Zeal for God's house consumed him, literally. Destroy this body, he said, this temple, I mean, destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days, which is precisely what they did nailing him to the cross and precisely what he did, rising from the dead, ascending to the throne on high, pouring down his Holy Spirit visibly, manifestly upon his disciples so they became the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the church may not have great esteem today and we may have only ourselves to blame for that and yet we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the household of God, the house where his glory dwells. And when we gather together and sing his praise and hear his word and maybe one day meet round his table again and celebrate, power made perfect in the weakness of the cross It's so that we may disperse into the world to reflect his glory and bring his rule and his order to bear on the areas of life where we have influence, not as dictators, but as those who offer the sacrificial service of Christ. So what are you ambitious for? What What destiny do you seek for yourself? The great ones, a great house or a great monument or a a legacy that will be recorded in history. David wanted a house for the glory of God. And meantime, the tent would do. And he would rather be in the tent of the Lord than all the dwellings of the rich and powerful. From time to time, you may have heard somebody point to somebody in your football team or in your place of work and uh, heard them say, he's a high flyer, he's on his way to the top. That was David. Although Samuel could not see it when he anointed him to be king, That was even more so of Jesus, though they could not see it when they nailed him to the cross. That's what we are if we take up the cross to follow Jesus. We are people with a great future, a great destiny. We are the people who are on the way to the top. And this psalm of David is written for people like us who need to keep asking ourselves if we want to pursue godly ambition for the kingdom of God whose eye am I living under whose help am I dependent upon whose glory drives my ambitions let's pray together Um, a short prayer A prayer from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. For Jesus' sake, amen.